Hi, my name is Jim. I'm a compulsive overeater and a lot of other things. And I'm very grateful Overeaters Anonymous for taking off approximately 110 pounds off my body and keeping it off plus or minus 10 pounds for over 40 years now. And that is the miracle of this program, that somebody like me who couldn't stick to a diet for a day has been able to you know, keep this weight off for over four decades. And that is a miracle. Um, I only have 20 minutes, not 20 hours to speak, but uh, I'll uh, you know, try to talk precisely at how I recovered, because you know, that's, that's what it says in the AA Big Book. That, uh, and you know, we recover in this program by working with other compulsive overeaters, people like us. And indeed, that's the key to all of these 12-step programs. If you think about AA, the founders of AA you know, had tried a bunch of things. They had tried doctors, psychologists, sanitariums, religion. None of it worked until they put their faith into action through helping another drunk. And it says over and over again in the AA Big Book, if you're feeling shaky, go work with another alcoholic. First paragraph, chapter 7, it works when other activities fail. And that's the key to this program, that it's not the kind of thing that I can do alone by myself in my own kitchen. It really requires that I do a lot of time working with other compulsive overeaters. In other words, industrial strength sickos like me. If you think about the tools of the OA program, and guess what? Four out of those nine tools talk about working with other compulsive overeaters. It's why we go to OA meetings. It's why we do service in OA meetings. It's why we make telephone calls. It's why we have sponsors and sponsor people. You know, that's, you know, that's what this program's all about. You know, we don't have any cures here. But, uh, nobody does. I mean, if there were a cure, none of us would be here. Instead, what we have is a treatment. You know, that helps me one day at a time not kill myself with my fork. And that's really what abstinence is all about. It's about not killing ourselves with food one day at a time. And it really is a one day at a time program. And even though I've been abstinent for over 15,000 days, you know, it really is one day at a time. No matter how long I've been driving down the road, I'm still just as close to the ditch. And I better not forget that, you know, because I'm like somebody who's lost his legs. I'm not going to grow new ones. <laughs> that, uh, that's the story of my life. Oh, yeah, I started out, I was a fat kid. I went through all the stuff you go through when you're a fat kid. We all know how to suffer here. So I try not to spend too much time on the tale of woe and four-part harmony. And that, uh, you know, the way we recover is by helping other overeaters. And... It's helpful when we tell enough of our stories so other people can identify and say, yeah, I did that too. Yeah, yeah, I drove over icy roads to get to the junk food. Yeah, I broke a chair. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, I did that. I did this diet, that diet. Yeah. You know, it helps to identify. But the uh, really the value added is share what works, what we've actually done. And, oh, and I tried a whole bunch of things over the years. I grew up in western Pennsylvania, escaped when I was 18, went to Southern California thinking that would fix me. It didn't. Various diets didn't fix me. Thought that becoming a long-haired, hippie freak, grateful deadhead would fix me. It didn't. 
thought that cutting my hair off, getting a real job, moving north would fix me. It didn't. Because everywhere I went, every time I took that geographic cure, I took my eating disorder with me. So, anyways, I'd stumbled into San Francisco, didn't know anybody, and, you know, at 4.59 in the afternoon, I would bail out of work, go to the drugstore, which was aptly named because everybody standing in line at 5 o'clock was getting their fix of one type or another, you know, candy, booze, cigarettes, and I would get my bags and bags of junk food and tell myself, well, I'll just have, you know, a little bit, and then I'll have a wholesome dinner later. Yeah, right. You know, the minute I, I got home to my apartment where I was living by myself, I would draw the blinds closed, lest the neighbors I didn't know across the street would get out binoculars, look through the windows, and see that I was eating junk food. As if they couldn't tell by looking at my 46-inch waist what I was doing with food. But, oh... You know, I I thought the beard covered it up so well. Yeah, right. That, uh, And I was having nights where the chest pains would hit, and I was thinking, uh-oh, is this the big heart attack? Am I going to wake up the next day? So at the ripe old age of 22, I made out my will because I knew this disease was killing me. Well, did I stop eating? No. I kept on eating. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I remembered hearing about Overeaters Anonymous. You know, the advice columnists, Dear Abby and Ann Landers, would mention it now and then. And I just got so desperate. I looked them up in the phone book, called the phone number, found out where a meeting was, wrote it down on a piece of paper, lost the piece of paper. Looked them up in the phone book, (coughs) called the number, found out where a meeting was, it was a answering machine, wrote it down on a piece of paper, lost the piece of paper, lather, rinse, repeat. Well, eventually, I stumbled into a meeting, and it was really lucky. You know, there was a newcomer's meeting, and, you know, they <clears throat> explained all the stuff I had to do to recover in the program. So they didn't just say, oh, keep coming back, keep going to meetings. It was like, no, they, they laid it all out. Yeah, this is what a sponsor is, this is what the steps are, this is where the program came from. And they said, get a sponsor. So, got myself a sponsor who told me to go to 90 OA meetings in 90 days. And at that point, I was just really desperate, so I started going to a meeting almost every day. Um, The... um, of course, I added bread and beer to my first food plan. That's a story for another program. Um, I didn't quite make 90 meetings in 90 days. I, I don't claim perfection by any means. But started going to a lot of meetings. You know, started abstaining. The um, And it was real touch and go at first. You know, the cravings were intense. I mean... You know, they talked about being a food addict, and I thought, wow, these people really understand me because I am a food addict. You know, I'm the kind of person that, you know, you know, one bite of certain things sets off an overwhelming craving for more. Why my body works that way, I haven't a clue. Now, this is not Overeaters Analysis. It's Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I don't have to understand this stuff. And, hey, the scientists haven't figured out how our body's appetites work yet either. You know, they're, they're trying, you know, 
you know, maybe someday they'll 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 figure out a cure. But uh, for now, what I need is a treatment that's going to keep me killing myself one at a time, and that's what this program does. But the uh, cravings were really intense. They told me I was going to go through a withdrawal, you know, and <clears throat> it was bad. But going to a meeting every day and calling people up and stuff, you know, it it made it doable. But I was at one meeting, and somebody asked me how I was, and I pointed to the table, the side of the room. And it was, you know, brown-colored, and I said, if that were made out of a certain food, I'd be gnawing on it right now. You know, that's that's how white-knuckling I was. But then I heard somebody get up at a meeting and tell their story, and they talked about the fact that not only did they not touch sugar with a five-foot pole, I mean, I knew I couldn't touch that, but they also talked about the fact they didn't eat, you know, any of those starches like bread, rice, or potatoes. And I thought, that's crazy. Because the, uh, you know, my mother was a home ec teacher. I learned all about the four basic food groups. And, of course, I thought they were sugar, salt, grease, and starch. But this person had lost 100 pounds, looked great, had peace and serenity. And I thought, wow, I'll try it. So I tried that ultra-low-carb food plan that you can find written up in the Dignity of Choice pamphlet. And lo and behold, the cravings went away. Now, why my body responds that way to those long-grain starch, long-chain starches, I have no idea. But that's the way my body reacts. And I discovered when I don't eat those things, I get far fewer cravings around the food. Hmm. Funny how that is. Now, it does turn out that, you know, many years later, a doctor did diagnose me as being allergic to corn and wheat products. And later on, I discovered I actually have a gene for celiac. I've never been formally diagnosed with it, but, you know, I haven't touched wheat products in uh, you know, nearly 40 years. So there's no reason for me to uh, start now, right? But uh, anyhow, it took me about a year to lose the weight. And uh, during that time, the very first 100-pounders meeting started in San Francisco. It was at uh, Vincentian Villa. And uh, Angela A. is the one who uh, founded the meeting, and I was there at the very first one. There were four of us there that night. And ever since then, I've been hooked on 100-pounders meetings because there is a difference. And maybe maybe it's just you know my own pathology here, but... I identify more with other people who've been morbidly obese like me. I'm not saying other people don't belong in OA. I'm not saying that they're not sick. They're probably just as sick, if not sicker. But I identify more with people whose stories are like mine, people who know what it's like to have stretch marks all over the place, people who know what it's like to watch the blood pressure go up, people who know what it's like you know, to have to shop in the big and tall shop, you know, people who know what it's like to not sit in the little restaurant booth or the little plastic chairs in the classroom. That uh, people who know what it's like to experience the job discrimination that people like us face. And, you know, when a normal person says, oh, just push yourself away from the table, they tell me what to do, I want to tell them where to go. 
But when somebody has been where I've been around the food, says, don't eat no matter what, I go, wow, that's profound. Why didn't I think of that? No, you know, and so my basic philosophy of OA is to do what I see working for other people like me. And I figure if it works for them, it'll work for me. And if it doesn't work, try something else. If what you're doing is working, keep at it. If it's not, try something different. But I basically say, hey, you know, do what you see working for other people like you. And you know, when I first came into OA, it was real obnoxious, still am. And you know, I very rudely tried to reverse engineer other people's programs. I would interrogate them. You know, what do you eat? What do you pray to? How do you meditate? What vitamins do you take? I expected to find some magical secret. And then one day, I was sitting at a, a plain, random, average, generic OA meeting. You know how bad that can be. There was nothing special said that day. But as I looked around the room, you know, I'd been going to a lot of meetings and listening to people's stories, and you know, you know, there were a lot of people who had what I wanted, and there were a lot of people who hadn't gotten it yet. And then suddenly, the light bulb clicked on, and I noticed, wow, the people who had what I wanted do all those things we talk about at the beginning of meetings. They were working the 12 steps of the Overeaters Anonymous program. And by the way, um, there are two steps in the OA program that are very different from the AA program. And if you don't know what those steps are, you don't know your steps. Because in step one, we admit powerlessness over food. And in step 12, we carry the message to compulsive overeaters. You know, the other 10 inside steps are all the same. But in order for me to recover from overeating, I need to be around other overeaters. You know, it's one thing to go to another 12-step program and watch a guy celebrate you know, decades of sobriety. But when they bring out the cake afterwards, I want to join them. It doesn't do much for my food. That's why I need to work with other compulsive overeaters like me. And at these 100-pounders meetings, that's where we hang out. That's, that's where I hear stories that you know, I most closely identify with. So anyhow, what I noticed was you know, the people were you know, following directions. You know, they were you know, living those nine tools of recovery, which are the actions we take to actually work the 12 steps. I mean, you know, it, it took me a long time to figure that out. I'm really a slow learner in this program in that uh, the, uh, for a long time I thought they were two totally different things. You know, you have these 12 steps over here, you have nine tools over there. Thank you. And it took me a long time to figure out they're really two sides of the same sheet of paper, that, you know, the tools are the actions we take to actually live the steps. So it took me about um, about a year to lose the weight, and when I hit goal weight, I really didn't know what to do. But the best advice that was given to me was, you know, the key to maintenance is not more food, it's more program. You know, which is kind of a surprise to me because you know, since I had been fat all my life, I'd never been thin before, I always thought that when I lost the weight that I was going to be this six-foot-tall millionaire and that on the day that I hit goal weight that, you know, a big limousine, you know, 
you know, filled with Dallas cheerleaders, would drive up to my doorstep and just drop these big bags of gold in my doorstep. Well, the day had go away. My girlfriend at the time wasn't even talking to me. I still had to work for a living. The security guards at work in the, early in the morning were just as bored and surly looking as they always were. Nothing was really different that day. And I discovered that, you know what? People who aren't fat have problems too. And I thought all my problems were going to disappear. But you know, there was no earthquake that day, no chorus of heavenly beings saying hallelujah. I mean, it was just another day. But anyhow, over the years, I've attempted to work the steps many times. Um, that uh, you know, because that's what separates you know away from being a diet club. It's the fact that you know these steps are designed to have a you know a serious spiritual awakening as the result, not a result of these steps. But I'm almost out of time, so I'll just kind of uh, close with how I work my program on a daily basis. When I get up in the morning, I get up on my knees, say the third step prayer, and then I take a few moments where I try to meditate, although pretty quickly the squirrels in my brain start chattering away. So I, I don't claim to be a you know, great meditator. You know, I hear some people talking about meditating for long periods of time, and I just haven't gotten there yet. I have a sponsor that I call just about every day because... Well, I still call in my food. Yeah, I've been abstinent for you know over four decades now, but you know what? It helps me to call in my food because it helps me plan. You know, being, having a plan of eating is one of our tools. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Plus, it gives me an excuse for something to talk about. You know, I uh, sponsor several people that expect to call me every day. Well, my sp- style of sponsorship is actually, you know, lots of short calls because I have a short attention span. That, uh, and when I get calls at random times from people in program, it reminds me of the fact that, yeah, I'm part of this fellowship, this network of people who support each other. That, uh, and that is such an important part of how this program works. That uh, um, I go to a lot of OA meetings. I think I've been to well over 5,000 OA meetings over the last four decades. And uh, that that's what keeps me glued together. Why it works, I don't know. When I go to a lot of OA meetings, it becomes easy for me to eat properly. When I don't get to a lot of meetings, it gets hard. Why that is, doesn't matter. It just is. The more meetings I get to, the more peace and serenity I have, period. Um, I do service at OA meetings. One of the things I've observed is that the people who do service get better faster. The people who don't do service struggle longer. Why that is? I don't know. It's just an empirical fact. That, uh, As far as food plans go, I eat three meals a day, nothing in between, um, none of my old binge foods. You know, that limits the amount of damage I can do in any one day. You know, I've, I've tried a variety of different you know, styles of eating over the years that, uh, you know, every time I tried to add the grains and starches back in, the cravings came back, so I let go of those things again. I weigh and measure most of my meals, you know, not always exactly. You know, I, I don't walk around with a cup of a measuring scale in my back pocket everywhere I go, but uh, it helps to calibrate my eyeballs on a regular basis. 
um, you know, at night <clears throat> before I go to sleep, I do a night a, a mental tenth step, where I remind myself my disease is threefold: it's part physical, part emotional, part spiritual. And I ask, how is my recovery doing in those three dimensions? You know, Don't physically, you is my food okay? I'll wrap it up. Is my food clean? Am I uh, playing any games there? Emotionally, am I angry? Am I upset? Spiritually, how am I working my program today? And since my time is up, I'll wrap it up and turn it back over to the leader. <laughs> 